Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Hey, Nicole. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Chris. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Nice, bright, sunny day today. So uh, always makes you happy and getting out with your horses. Today's topic is very interesting because I, I think I remember you talking about this uh, at a conference and you were talking about the manufacturing of feeds. And uh, I guess horse owners, we don't really think about it. Like, I mean, sometimes we do make sure it's a reputable company, but there's a lot that goes into making sure these feeds are safe, right? Yes, there is a ton that goes into it. A lot of different people, a lot of different departments. It's very much a cross-functional effort within our company to make sure you're processing safe feeds. And the reason that I, I talk about it a lot, you know, is it doesn't matter how amazingly perfect the product is. If it's not manufactured from ingredients that are sourced in a way in the actual manufacturing process that really eliminates risk to the horse. At the end of the day, we need to make sure what we feed them is ultimately safe. And I think that's something that's easy to just put out of your mind. Somebody else deals with that and just focus on, you know, the nutritional specs and whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, for me personally, as a nutritionist, that's number one by far okay. away. Yeah. Yeah. I could see, I could definitely see that. Now, my question is, how can these feeds be unsafe when manufactured? Because you would think, oh, they just get it, they mix it, you know, cook it, do whatever, make these pellets, boom, there's a good horse feed, horses will be fine. But there are specific things that can happen, right, that, that make a feed unsafe. Sure, just read any horsey news, you know. <laughs> XYZ lawsuit because XYZ happened and killed these horses. And it's something that, I mean, I don't think anyone sets out to make feed that's not safe right? Like across the board, that's never the goal. I think it's just the degree of focus, the degree of investment in those risk management processes. There are basic levels that are required for anyone manufacturing feed that have to be followed. They're pretty basic though. Um, and I'll certainly say I can only obviously speak for our company that we do many things much above and beyond those very minimum requirements. And I think that's a little bit where some of the gray area happens. And I'll be honest, I can give you an example of things I see in the marketplace that don't actually meet those minimum requirements, whether it's labeling, ingredient use, et cetera. So when you say that, when you say that the, there's minimum requirements, is that is that is there a federal or even state agency that regulates that? I mean, what are the, I guess, what are the minimum standards? There are federal and state agencies involved in this. And I will say, <laughs> one of a very common phrase I use is, let me get with our regulatory team and get back right, to you. Right, uh, right. Th this is not my area of expertise, but I'm broadly speaking, happy to talk about it. So your highest degree of oversight on the federal level, the FDA ultimately oversees manufacturer of feed. They do it through the American Association of Feed Control Officials. AFCO is probably a term as a horse owner that maybe you've seen those letters somewhere and been like, I don't know, that's something that feed mm -hmm. manufacturers do. And, you know, they, a big part of what they do is they're the ones that are determining what ingredients are considered safe and appropriate for inclusion in feed. 
And they have different categories for different species. So something that's approved for use in poultry or swine, not necessarily approved for inclusion in horse feeds. And it might be their broad categories, uh, wheat mints, their specific enzymes, like really narrow. Sometimes even that regulation includes the maximum levels you can include an ingredient in a feed. Uh, a good example of something I see in the marketplace that's not actually in line with AFCO regulations are how some companies are using chromium. It is a defined set feeding rate and they have an invariable intake products. So AFCO kind of develops that list of ingredients that are considered safe and appropriate and it's updated. And then they also are in charge of the labeling requirements. So when you look at a tag, you will see the guaranteed analysis for a feed. It's per pound. It's always per pound. I know sometimes people email us and they're like, why do you do it this way? I want per serving or why why do you use PPM? I I don't know what that is. And, And we're happy to help you work through the tag for sure, but we don't choose how we label it. So what nutrients are labeled in which specific way or even the order the nutrients are listed on the tag is specified by AFCO. Now, one thing to be aware of, this is specific to feed and not supplements. So there's a lot less regulatory oversight in the supplement business than there is in the feed manufacturing side. And then on top of that, you have state regulations. So, you know, there are certainly, there are audits. So we have in-person audits of our mills, different labeling requirements. There's even some interesting stuff on the ingredient side. A good example, we have the GC Plus products, Essential K GC Plus, Calmanese GC Plus. These have glucosamine, chondroitin, and MSM added in to support joint health. There are a couple states that say you cannot use any of those ingredients, specifically Texas and Indiana. They don't have an issue if you sell them in a supplement, but you cannot put them in a complete feed. There are other states, it's actually a fairly long list of states that don't allow you to add MSM to a complete feed. You can add glucosamine and chondroitin, but not MSM. So it just, it kind of highlights that there are a lot of regulations. There's your federal oversight and then some additional oversight by the various states and it changes depending on which state you're in. That's a nightmare. It just, it's a nightmare. It is. Well, we can send our feed here, but we can't send it there and we can send this feed there. Yeah, that's okay. So my question is, where does it go wrong then? If it's so regulated, the feed now supplements I can get, I can totally understand where that can go wrong and people can overfeed or, you know, you get in toxicity. That, that's a whole nother podcast for another day. But just with manufacturing, if there is this regulatory and it seems a little tight. Where does it go wrong? A couple different places it goes wrong. I think the two big ones that come to mind are in ingredient selection. So are we selecting ingredients that are safely sourced and of high enough quality to feed to a horse? And then the other one is in contamination issues. So there are definitely requirements. Um, The Food Safety Modernization Act of 2000. I believe it's 11, you know, it has your current good manufacturing practices. So like there are some regulations that require you, you do things like hazard analysis and all of that. But in terms of what the nitty gritty looks like, it actually varies quite a bit. So, you know, what sort of testing, what sort of rigor are you holding your ingredient suppliers to when you decide where are you going to buy an ingredient from? There's a lot of leeway there on 
kind of those details that aren't necessarily regulated down to that really tight level. Can give you a couple examples in terms of, you know, incoming ingredients. What are you testing for? It's not laid out what you have to test for. So some basic things you might be testing for: nutrient variability, maybe. Um, are you doing some quality parameters? Uh, the moisture. What percentage of that incoming ingredient are things like dockage, which would be waste materials, wheat seeds, stems, things like that. Are you doing any spot testing as things come in to actually look at nutrients using like near infrared spectroscopy? Like how variable are those ingredients? And then of course you have issues like mycotoxins. So this is where we start to see some of those big health issues definitely have been some major recalls because of mycotoxins. We test incoming loads on everything, uh, but you don't have to. So we also might make decisions on, are we going to use specific ingredients that have higher mycotoxin risk? Aflatoxin and peanut holes. I'm not going to use peanut holes anyways, because they're not very digestible, but there's added risk in using them. Certainly think about dried distiller's grains. Nutritionally, there are definitely benefits to dried distiller's grains. So that's a byproduct of the ethanol industry. They take corn and there's a fermentation process that pulls out all the starch used to make ethanol. What's left is high protein, low NSC, used to be moderate fat. Now they pull more of the fat out, so it's pretty low fat. But nutritionally, it really doesn't have a bad profile. The problem is corn, depending on the environmental conditions that year, how wet it was, this year has been really wet in a lot of the Midwest. I expect it to be a high mycotoxin year. They pull out the starch, it concentrates everything that's left, including your mycotoxins. So distillers can be a pretty high risk ingredient in terms of mycotoxins. Can you do enough screening to ensure that every load of distillers that you bring in has a mycotoxin level low enough such that it's appropriate to use in horse feeds at the level of inclusion that you are using? In terms of risk analysis, I just don't use them at tribute, right? That's a risk that I'm not willing to take. It doesn't mean that that's not a risk that maybe can't be managed, but it takes a lot of intensity to do so. And I have other ingredients with lower risk that I can use to achieve that. They just might be a little bit more expensive. So, you know, that's where a lot of your quality things happen. Um, Certainly less of the significant health impact would be things like, are you testing your incoming vitamins for stability? What what sort of storage conditions are you storing your ingredients in? So you kind of have that range that contributes to product quality. Uh, But there is nothing that says that I need to go through kind of the rigorous testing protocol that we do. That's not something that's regulated that tightly. Uh, That that makes sense. And and that's that's a good explanation, you know, how, how sometimes it can go wrong. One thing, is it true, and this is going back uh, early days for me, but you manufacturing horse feed in the same plant that they manufacture, say, cattle feed or other ruminant feed, they get some cross-contamination. And, and I've, I don't know if it was a lawsuit I read or something that, that that's a big problem sometimes, isn't it? 
Yeah, so I believe what you're probably thinking about is ionophores. So they're not just used in cattle. Um, There are ionophores for some other species as well, but cattle would be a big one. And their antibiotics incredibly useful in terms of increasing production in those specific animals. The problem is even very low levels can be toxic to the horse uh, and can ultimately cause fatalities. So there's different ways that this can be handled. You can sequence, meaning that if you run a feed with one of those medications in it, you have X number of tons of some other feed behind it that is not intended for an animal that would be sensitive to that. So maybe you ran a medicated calf pellet and you run feed that's going to be fed to cows behind it and then horse. That's one way some places handle it. Others do flushing protocols where they run some amount of flush through their system to try to clean it out. You know, it takes a lot of either of those. Uh, So so we built a plant that we make our horse feed in. Uh, We own other manufacturing facilities that we make cattle and, and other feeds in. And the reason that we built that plant was because when we did the testing, how much clean feed or flushing that you have to do to get to zero, zero contamination, it's incredibly high. Beyond that, you also just have simply that human risk factor. A lot of things are computer automated. We have a very state-of-the-art facility. There's always, though, that human factor in there that things might not be done correctly. So yeah, ionophores are definitely a concern. That's the reason that we have a plant that specifically makes horse feed. It's completely ionophore free. And when you ask that question, you know, ionophores, uh, menensin is the most common one that's using cattle feed. Just because a plant is menensin free doesn't mean it's free of other ionophores. You kind of have to be specific sometimes when you ask the question. Uh, Bovatec with its lacelosid, uh, ladlamycin, selenomycin, like there are all these different ones. Okay, like Bovatec, you need more of it to kill a horse than you do remensin, but it's still not very much in terms of that level of contamination. So we've made the decision that we simply don't manufacture feeds that contain any of those ingredients in the facility that we make all of our horse feed. To take it a step further, I also require any of my ingredient suppliers to also be free of those ingredients. Because if I have gone through the effort and the expense as a company of building a facility to not use those ingredients, I definitely don't want outside contamination coming in. And that goes back to kind of, it's a cross-functional effort for safe feed manufacturing. So the last thing we'd want to happen is that purchasing uh, a proven ingredient coming from a supplier that also, you know, makes those medicated type products. It's tough. I'll say it takes, it takes a lot of people and a lot of focus on quality to make sure that you're able to do that consistently at a high level. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, there have been a lot of examples of ionophore toxicity in horses. And just for that reason, we have a mill that we specifically dedicate to horses, and we just don't make products that contain those things in that mill. Yeah, is it, uh, there's a lot. There's so much that goes into it. And that's why I think this is a fascinating talk. Now, you've, you've already talked a little bit about some of the testing you do before things come to the plant. Are there any steps or or tests you do after the feed's manufactured uh, just to check quality? 
Ah, good question. Okay, there's a couple different types of quality, right? Like we focused on uh, incoming ingredient quality and all the testing that you might do to ensure you're getting good quality ingredients that are hopefully very consistent. We've talked about avoiding medications. Other types of quality uh, would be, is the feed made the way it's formulated? So like I sit down and I, in a program, formulate a feed and it has down to tiny, tiny levels, like the level of detail there of I'm formulating for a specific PPM of copper. I want the resulting feed to have that specific PPM of copper, which means your ingredient inclusions have to be really tight. So one of the things that you know, goes into that is making sure the feed is formulated as it is intended to be. So part of that quality control is in terms of making the feed itself would be, are we adding the ingredients in the correct order in the quantities that they're required? So for us, a lot of that's computer automated. And I can look at every single batch of feed and see down to the hundredth of a pound, what the inclusion of, of that specific ingredient. Uh, I can go back and watch video of the hand ads. So like tiny, tiny inclusion ingredients that might not be in a micro bin. I can actually watch video, make sure that it was added the way it was supposed to be. It's also things like, are your scales calibrated? How often are you going through your micro bins and calibrating those scales? Because we're expecting it to measure out very tiny amounts. I have ingredients that I use at a 10th of a pound per ton. That's crazy. <laughs> tiny, tiny <laughs> inclusion uh, yes, level. Yeah. So yeah, in yeah. terms of in terms of quality, you know, there are other things in terms of the actual feed manufacturing. So I can actually see batch by batch inclusion levels. And then in terms of the operator, there's a flag. If it's outside of a very narrow tolerance, a flag will go up and they'll have to see, okay, what happened? Is this approved? Does it have to be flushed? That level of detail. So if you think about it, there are some ingredients that, right, it wouldn't hurt the horse if it wasn't made as formulated. Other ingredients, even though we want them in the feed, they're in there at very regulated levels. Selenium would be a good example. So if that formula, for example, called for one pound of selenium and 10 pounds went in, that'd be 10x selenium. And now you have a problem in your finished feed. So you don't want to have to rely on some sort of end testing, we want to catch all of that on the front side through kind of that automated program, through inventory reconciliation, all of those steps we put in place to make sure that it's being made as it's supposed to be originally. Then you also have quality measures. So, you know, it's at a certain point in the process, they're going to take a sample, test for PDI, pellet durability index. So, how well does that pellet hold up to like being handled? Because I could make a great feed. It could be super safe. And if it doesn't hold up and it turns to dust in the bag yeah. by the time it, it goes <laughs> yes. through the bag or in the warehouse, loaded on a truck, shipped to you in the back of your car, and then you dump it in your bin and it's all fine. So you're like, well, my horse isn't going to eat this. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. So there's testing for that. Other things like magnets. So, you know, we're working with a lot of natural ingredients that are harvested out in the world. So magnets on incoming ingredients to make sure just anything picked up in the process of harvesting your beet bulb, for example, doesn't get into the feed. Um, All of those things play a role as well as just physical characteristics. Does it look the way it's supposed to? Is the length of the pellet 
the length that it's supposed to be. So there's a lot of steps in that process that are outside of health per se, but uh, certainly important in terms of end product quality for the horse. No, I, I think we could talk about this for an hour. <laughs> Just, it's, there's so much that goes into it. And maybe we will, we will revisit this at some point, you know, talking about like those, that one-tenth one of a pound and a ton of feed is insane. So, uh, but any, you know, any final comments or, or ways you can tell the listeners, you know, wherever they are in the world, how to ensure their horse feed is, is really coming from a quality manufacturer? I'd say the big thing is don't be afraid to ask questions of the manufacturer. I mean, we're always happy to talk about it. In fact, we're happy to give you a tour uh, to actually come see it. You certainly can reach out and say, are you Iona for free? They answer back, yeah, we're free of Menensen. Those are two different answers. So those are things that they should be able to tell you. You can ask questions about ingredient sourcing. I know a common one we get is, you know, do you source all your ingredients in the U.S.? We, we source as many things locally as possible. There's some things like some of the vitamins only made in Europe. So they're, they're going to come from overseas. That doesn't mean our level of attention to the quality of them changes or our testing protocols or anything like that. But ultimately, I think you're trying to do the best thing for your horse. And this is one of the check boxes to mark. Yeah. Am I... Am I purchasing feed from a reputable company? I think especially when you're looking at supplements, like, I don't know, those could be made in someone's bathtub. I, I mean, know. they're <laughs> scary. They're really scary. Right. So, so yeah. ask those questions ahead of time. I think we all get really focused on some of the nitty gritty of the nutrient specifications. And those are incredibly important. But like I said at the beginning, it doesn't matter how perfect those are if it's not manufactured from quality ingredients and in a facility that has your horse's health high on its mind. And that's not to say there's not good supplements out there from reputable companies and like Tribute and, and others, but there are some of these. I've, I've run across them in my career that, you know, Mr. Joe down the street's making them in his backyard and they swear by it, but there's People no People always quali- swear by it. <laughs> yeah, but there's no science behind it or there's no quality. You don't know what you're feeding your animal and, and, and they could drop dead sometimes. So. It was fascinating talk. Uh, just want to thank the listeners uh, for joining us this week. Please keep those comments going on Facebook and Instagram. And then if you have any topics that you're really interested in, please let us know. And don't forget, if if you want a free consultation on what you're feeding your horse or horses or equid, you know, donkeys too, mules, all of them. Uh, the link is always in the bottom of the show notes and feel free to contact us but thank you so much Nicole it's fascinating talk and and I know this one ran a little long but I think it's very important you highlighted that very clearly so thank you so much yeah thank you Chris